Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. I'm glad to have everybody with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, I, I say this virtually every day, and it never ceases to be true. Kevin Riley, we have a lot again to talk about on this show. It never changes, Bill. Kevin Riley, the uh, editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, regular on our Tuesday show. It's good to have you here. Are you doing all right? Always good to be here. Yeah, it's a good day today, Bill. You know, I... I um, I want to do something that I know usually do. I usually, when we have a, a panelist who's like at a remote location, I, for whatever reason, introduce him last. I'm going to change that up today, Kevin. I'm going to introduce Kyle Hayes, the founder of Peach Pod, a podcast about Georgia politics. Kyle is a Georgia man, but he works in Washington these days. And Kyle, you're joining us from the studios of NPR in Washington. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to be back with you all. Yeah. Well, let's... I don't want you to feel marginalized just because you always get introduced <laughs> last. It's not fair. Um, Elena Parrott is here, Democratic senator, who um, has just come back from apparently a phenomenal trip. Where were you? Do you mind telling us? No, not at all. We did um, a National Geographic cruise of the inside passage of, in southeastern wow. Alaska. How long were you wonderful. gone? How long was the trip? We were gone 10 days, but the uh, we were on the boat itself seven nights. Yeah. So... Uh, so does a National Geographic trip, I know it's a little bit more uh, a, a kind of sophisticated, higher end sort of trip, more about e- exploration and right. all that, you know, education. Nevertheless, do they have a soft serve ice cream machine that's available 24 hours around the they clock? They don't. So oh if that's God. what you want, <laughs> maybe go with the big cruise lines. <laughs> There's a lot Why of coffee go- available, oh. a lot of a, a lot, five naturalists on board. But the focus is more on, uh, I think, the uh, naturalists. But the food was excellent. Okay, well, I'm glad to it hear was. that. Uh, Todd Ream is uh, sitting next to you. If you're watching us on Facebook Live at uh, GPB News page there, you'll see him. How are you, Todd? I'm doing great. Thanks for having and me. And you today. would like to do an Alaska trip, right? Yep. And uh, actually, I'm going to the Canadian Rockies next month uh, visiting Banff, which oh, has been a lifelong that's goal. That's on of my list. Todd, while you, since we've already promoted Peach Pod, promote your daily uh, look at politics in Georgia, please. So I, I write a, uh, a morning email that goes out sometime between 6 and 10 a.m. most days uh, that is sort of, uh, my goal is if you read it and nothing else, you can have an intelligent discussion about state and local politics in Georgia. Yeah, and I've, I always say when we mention uh, Georgia Pundit that, uh, among other things, one of the things that's terrific about it is you drill down into local politics really across the state in a way that we don't get to see very often. And and that's always what makes it uh, particularly valuable to me. That and, of course, the dogs that are up for adoption. Oh, thank you. And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll have to say that uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting has been doing a great job of getting a lot more of those local stories uh, on the oh, air and on the website thank in the you. last couple months. Well, partly because we're reading you. All right, let's start talking about the news. Uh, Kevin Riley, of course, we went through another weekend in which President Trump was tweeting Uh, about uh, Elijah Cummings, this time once again being accused of making racist observations about a well-respected member of Congress. I don't want to get too deeply into President Trump and his behavior, although, of course, it will come up. But I do think we have a Georgia angle that we want to talk about today. Yesterday, the president invited 20 African-American leaders Uh, religious leaders predominantly, to come meet with him in the Oval Office. We are told that this meeting was scheduled well before the Elijah Cummings incident, before the the, uh, uh, comments that he made about send them back, the the so-called squad. One of the people who was, and they didn't do a photo op, which is interesting. The White House said he was really there to hear what their concerns were, which is, I think, interesting. But one of the people in that room was a longtime Trump supporter, Alveda King, Dr. King's niece. She has been a supporter of his all along. She told a reporter from your paper that she did not ask him 
about his comments about either Elijah Cummings or the squad. She indicated that maybe other people did. She said, as far as she's concerned, there's no nothing, no racist uh, 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 part of Trump that he's not a racist. And um, she said, I don't believe white supremacists need anyone to embolden them. them. They're bold enough all on their own, and they are just in great need of prayer. Interesting to see Alveda King uh, once again really stand up for the president. Yeah, you know, that story really got my attention, and I'll be interested to see uh, what, what, what our other panelists think about it. In fact, I spent a while this morning sort of looking at who else was there and other uh, African Americans, in particular religious, you know, ministers and stuff who are uh, supporters of Trump, because I think it shows uh, no matter what your political feelings for, uh, neither side is quite as simple as the other side wants it to look. There, there are a lot of nuances within uh, supporters of Trump, of course, and also uh, supporters on the Democratic side. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what our experts have to say about that. Um, uh, Todd, uh, Elena, weigh in on this. One, one thing, and I, and I don't know if, if Ms. King has had this happen, but uh, one thing that, that it looks from the outside happens occasionally is that prominent African-American supporters of the president are, they get some blowback from, from their friends, their family, uh, folks who, uh, who think that they ought to be politically aligned differently. Um, and it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because I don't know, you see a lot of African-American supporters of President Trump more than I think was the case with, uh, previous Republican presidents, and I don't know if it's a difference in the makeup of his, uh, of the people who support him, or if it's that people who support him are more vocal than uh, supporters of, of a President Bush or, or a previous Republican might have been, because everybody who supports Donald Trump nowadays is, just wants to wave their red hat, their red hat in your face to tell you how much they support him. Um, but it's it's been interesting to see as as you see more and more African Americans in, in the backgrounds at rallies, um, on the stage, taking part in the campaign or taking part in official events. Um, I, I kind of wonder what what reactions they're getting from folks. Uh, Elena, let's uh, point out, and then I'll bring you into the conversation. That one of the other Atlantans there was uh, Reverend Billy Owens. He runs the Conservative Coalition of African American Pastors, pastors, and uh, he's been a prominent. Uh, Atlanta author and anti-abortion activist, but another uh, player mentioned in the AJC story is Reverend Jamal Bryant, who's the senior pastor at New Missionary Baptist Church, which of course is one of the really great African-American churches in metro Atlanta. He said, quote, I would not have come to the White House. He wasn't invited, but he said, nevertheless, I would not have come to the White House unless I was escorting Congressman Cummings there to receive an apology. Weigh in. (laughs) I think that the sentiment that uh, was just expressed by that pastor is more um, in line with the way most African-Americans and indeed most Americans of color view this president who has um, over and over tried to use racial fault lines um, and sort of throw bombs in the middle of them. Uh, he's certainly not a healer. And I think to Todd's point, I think I, that Todd made a lot of good points, but my thought is, my suspicion is that it's more likely that because Trump is sort of the reality TV uh, president and that's one of the lenses through which he he views his job and his performances, I think some of those African-American supporters um, are likewise maybe a, a touch more flamboyant than you would have seen for a George Bush, for and, example, and, and I would which say he that, suggested might be the case. And, and I would say that that aspect of it is, is not just African-American supporters, it's all Trump supporters. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle, I, the New York Times story about this this morning... Um, was interesting to me because I believe it's with New York Times, so I apologize if I've got my papers wrong. I read a lot of papers uh, this morning. Uh, started by saying these African-American ministers came to meet with him, but the White House didn't get what they want and went on to suggest that what they wanted was a photo op. But in fact, the word out of the White House was that this was always going to be, a, this was a closed meeting to accomplish something. Now, we don't know about how they're spinning things 
things these days. But the fact, Kyle, that there wasn't a photo op at a time when Trump is fighting back against those who talk about his racist remarks is in itself noteworthy, isn't it? I think so. And I think you're going to see this continue to develop as we head towards campaign season. You know, the president has previously attacked Joe Biden over his vote on the 1994 crime bill and tried to present uh, President Trump himself as the one who is sort of progressive on criminal justice issues. And when you look at sort of the reelection map that the president is facing, he has to try to shore up some support, some support, excuse me, from where he is now. Um, in terms of the numbers that he has. So, you know, for them looking in various directions, we may talk about Eric Erickson later, but we're looking at for support from African-Americans. Um, he's looking to improve his numbers, and, and this may be one way to do that. It, it's it's interesting that Kyle brings it up because I was just thinking about, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that you have this, uh, this closed meeting with the preachers. Um, and then there was a story that Bill sent out as part of the of show prep talking about Eric Erickson's... Uh, conversion experience uh, to become a, a Trump uh, supporter. And that also involved around some personal phone calls. And, and it's interesting to see a president who made his name in the private sector doing deals, sort of turning on what must have been a, a, a weapon that he used uh, in business, which is which is a charm offensive. And and I can imagine and, and I've had this happen with with politicians and folks that I've met over the years. Oh, I'm going to tell that so and so. And then you get in their face and they're just a charming, nice, real human being. And especially when the, when they're trying to charm you, I can imagine that's that's quite an experience and does not lend itself to confronting the president in the Oval Office. We have heard that. I mean, I think Todd's right about that. I mean, you you hear all the time that people who are close to him or know him on a personal level find him, they, they like him, they say kind things about him, they say he's as nice a guy as you've ever met, you hear about him holding co- court at Mar-a-Lago, all those things. And so I think there is, there is something to that. Um, I mean, I often find that. Often I'll face an audience that doesn't like the news paper and thinks terrible things about me and i i can occasionally charm a person of course but it's well, extremely you're, look you're an irishman you know how to charm the pants off of people but, i mean isn't that a politician's job oh, i've done yeah. it many times so you know it's <laughs> inter- all right so we're going to go ahead and talk eric erickson it was you know let's might as well pick up on that theme but before we do here's what's interesting about what we're saying elena and and i um don't want to get into this too deeply right now but Apparently, there is a t- charm factor to tr- Trump. It, it apparently was really in play back when he was uh, really at the height of his building career in New York when he was a playboy, a man about town. Things, though, started to change in that respect after his involvement with the Central Park Five, and then even more after he embraced birtherism. There's kind of this turn. He may still be able to lay on the charm, but suddenly no. it's clouded by no, other no, 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 no. realities yeah. in his life. People, very few people are going to actually interact with the president. Right. Hundreds of millions of people will hear his words blasted through the television and see his, his uh, you know, wild tweets. Yeah. And okay. that will have far more of an impact on All their right. opinion of him. Fair enough. Let's talk Eric Erickson. Um, we, and here's why it's relevant today. Uh, Kyle, Eric Erickson, who now has uh, Resurgent, which is the website in which he publishes his uh, thoughts, his commentaries on politics, uh, initially started out by having an annual gathering of conservative thinkers called Red State Gathering. And it went on for a number of years. In 2015, I think, Kyle, I've got that right, he was doing a beauty pageant, really, of as many Republican presidential candidates as he could get to come to town for his three-day meetings. Uh, it was in Atlanta that year. Trump was one of the invited Republican candidates. But uh, during the meetings, during the course of the meetings, the first new debate on Fox News took place, and it was at that debate that Megyn Kelly really quizzed Trump closely on how he treated women. And afterwards, Trump, of course, sent out a tweet about uh, Megyn Kelly saying she had blood coming out of here and there and wherever. And Eric Erickson was appalled by that, came to the stage of the event and said, I've just been reading what Trump has said. I am now officially disinviting him. I cannot have somebody who behaves like that come on. And 
that's all changed. Uh, Friday, uh, Kyle, Vice President Mike Pence will be back at an Eric Erickson conservative gathering. Right. And, um, you know, we shouldn't overlook, too, that, that Vice President Pence has, has Georgia ties with Nick Ayers yeah. being on his staff formerly. And so um, it's not surprising that there was a close relationship there and there was an avenue for the president to try to make amends with Erickson. Um, but I think that Erickson has gone the way of many Republicans who were resistant to Trump during the primaries in 2015 and in 2016 in um, coming around on Trump, primarily because of the judges that he's appointed um, in in the goals that they've met on that. And so, you know, for Trump, you know, going back to kind of what I was saying earlier is that he's looking to shore up support everywhere as they head into election season. And so it's not surprising that he would look to somebody like Erickson, who's an influential conservative media uh, personality to to try to shore up support where he didn't have it before. Right. It's not, that's not surprising. But, Todd, the fact that Eric Erickson, once a never-Trumper, is now endorsed the president for re-election, he's a powerful voice on uh, AM 750 over our friends over at uh, WSB. And uh, he's now embraced the president pretty fully. Well, Kevin, Kevin and I were speaking about this uh, on the way in, and Kevin has, a, has an interesting argument about the the commercial viability of a, of an ever trumper on commercial radio these days but what i've seen is you know i go out there amongst republican crowds all the time and what i've seen is people who supported him have doubled down their support people who didn't support him in the primary have become incredibly vocal supporters um and it's it's it, it, what I keep reading these stories about, you know, that that look at what happened in 2016 and which districts were competitive that time. And and I keep thinking to myself that the Republican electorate back then was different from the Republican electorate now, where I feel like so much of the electorate within our party has embraced Trump in a way that that like uh, like some of the other aspects I talked about is, is not something I've seen before. Um, they have become incredibly enthusiastic and, and willing to embrace him in, in ways that I could not have foreseen. Well, of course, another way of looking at that, Elena, as you well know, is uh, that the president has now is now holding the entire Republican Party right. uh, uh, hostage uh, because he's so popular among Republican voters that members of Congress, other elected officials don't dare speak out or feel that uh, it will hurt them badly if they speak out against the president, which is a different way of looking at the conversion of so many Republicans uh, to the Trump Well, that's side. what I was going to say. What other choice do they have? It's well, not at all surprising to me that Eric Erickson would embrace him. There's not going to be any sort of serious other avenue for Republicans. And to Todd's point, the lock grip that he has on the Republican Party means that it could damage their own livelihoods, whether they're a uh, commentator or whether they are a member of Congress, if they're going to oppose him. And there is no other realistic path for a Republican to uh, other person for a Republican to support in 2020 unless they're not concerned about winning or those things. I think Elaine is exactly right. I mean, think about this for a second, okay? Um, Eric runs a Republican website, a conservative website. He is having this event that's targeted at conservatives, and he has a conservative talk radio show. If he's not supporting the president, what the heck is he going to talk about? All right, let's be careful. I think there's we should put that in perspective. Uh, When George W. Bush... Uh, wanted to uh, pass a comprehensive immigration reform package, he certainly got pushback from Republicans on the Hill who were furious that he wanted to do that. When Saxby Chambliss, the Republican junior senator from Georgia, supported that package, he went out to a Republican state convention, we've talked about it on this show before, and was booed off the stage. So it isn't as if... Uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, in the past we have not seen members of your own party who are willing to speak out criticizing you, and yet I think that's a very different scenario with Trump right now. And I also think that there is there is an outrage fatigue that has taken uh, taken a an effect on people who do not think politics is the most important thing in the world, where they've just become inured to it and they're used to it and. It can easily seem, depending on who you listen to and read, that the Democrats are 
sort of looking for every single excuse they can to to call something outrageous and they'll you know they'll have press releases ready to go up calling the latest thing he's said outrageous and they'll just figure out on the fly why they're outraged about it. It, 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 That's the perception anyway. And so I I think that a lot of the things that perhaps alienated um, some of the more moderates, they've just gotten used to it. They're, you know, they're beyond caring about that um, and don't necessarily follow every tweet that comes across the screen. Well, I think that's exactly right, that um, they don't, and and it makes sense in many ways. But I would also add to that, that because Trump's support has always been tenuous, he may well win re-election, but he's certainly not a unifying candidate that appears to be trying to pull in more independence. It's it's not that it's been tenuous. It's been consistent at around Well, consistent below 50 percent, which makes it tenuous for re-election if if you're you're doing it off the national vote. I think we can ask our host this, Bill, right? I mean, if you're doing a radio show and you can get a consistent... 40% 40% of the listening audience, you're you're really in good shape. Now, I'm not saying that's what Eric's getting or anybody's after, but look at it this way. Which media personality has most fully embraced Trump? I would argue Sean Hannity. And I would all further argue that that has been really good business and good for ratings for Sean Hannity. And I don't think there's anybody in the world of conservative media who is going to be successful if they don't embrace the president. And so I think Eric made a very pragmatic decision to make sure he could continue to influence things and perhaps influence the president on some things, which is his goal, I'm sure. Well, it, it, what, what I'd say, uh, I, I'd go back to something Elena said about, uh, you know, under 50 percent being tenuous for reelect. I, I think that we're, we've entered a new phase in politics where under 50 percent is going to be about the high watermark for most politicians because we have seen a complete disappearance of swing voters. It's all about turning out the base, all about turning out the base. And I and I, sure and I right. think I think I think the, the Stacey Abrams uh, campaign of 2018 was uh, was predicated on that notion. And, and I think that what we've seen is is that area like islands in the stream has gotten swept away a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time until it's disappeared and and it's all base and so when you're at 48 percent the the good news for you is you're performing well among your base and it's going to be a battle of the bases in november well i got to get to a break but i do want to give you one last chance elena i mean what todd says is maybe in the in the broadest way is probably true but now look at what are what are those apparent swing voters in the 6th and 7th districts. Well, right. No, that's what I was going to say. I mean, certainly that argument, there is some credence, and I'm not saying that it's wrong. And certainly in a state like Georgia, I think you can make the argument that a base turnout election is more the way to go as far as trying to win Georgia. But I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case for other states that will matter when it comes to winning the Electoral right. College. I, I've got to take a break. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about on this show today. Um, so uh, let's do that. Let's get our first break of the show in. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the United States Senate race, uh, the Democratic side, where uh, Ted Terry and uh, Teresa Tomlinson have uh, very different feelings about the impeachment of President uh, Trump. We'll do that after these messages. You know, selling a car can be a hassle, but donating it is a whole different story. Let us take it off your hands or off your driveway and turn it into public radio and maybe even a tax deduction. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and here is how to donate. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. On the next Fresh Air, Laura Lipman, author of the popular Tess Monaghan detective series. Her new standalone crime novel, Lady in the Lake, is set in 1960s Baltimore and deals with problems that still face us, like sexism, racism, and homophobia. Lipman also writes personal essays on subjects like becoming a mother at age 51. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Uh, we're back. Kyle Hayes, uh, you did a, an interview for Peach Pod. It's, it's your most uh, recent post on the Peach Pod uh, podcast, right? Are you there, Kyle? Yes. Okay. So you did just do uh, an interview with uh, Ted Terry, 
running for the United States Senate, Democratic nomination, right? We did, yeah. And uh, the a clip that we wanted to pull from that today is is the big difference between Ted Terry's position on impeachment and on Teresa Tomlin's, Tomlinson's position. Um, and it's really interesting because the two of them are really arguing at the wings of the Democratic argument about whether or not uh, Democrats in the House should impeach the president. All right. Uh, I want to talk about that. We're, if you don't mind, let's suspend that for just a moment. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, we have spent the first part of this show talking about Alveda King, her visit to the White House uh, with President Trump yesterday. And Alveda King is now with us in the studio. She was gracious enough. You were over. We've told people many times the Fox News Bureau was in our right building. Next door. And you were there, Ms. King, for, for an interview with them. And you were gracious enough to agree to our request that you come in to talk to us live on Political Rewind. Thank you for doing that. Well, I'm happy to do it. I, I appreciate media. I had a degree in journalism from Georgia State University many years ago. So we only want to take a couple minutes of your time, and everybody will probably want to ask you a question or two. But one of the interesting uh, points that was made by this panel when we talked about the group of you who were in the Oval Office yesterday, and certainly about your comments defending President Trump, is how difficult is it to be an African-American leader these days in your own community and speak out in support the way you have of President Trump for a very long time now? Well, you know, isn't it wonderful to talk to me rather than about me? (laughs) I'm loving it. Okay, let's say someone left a voicemail for me and said that my family would be rolling over in their graves and I should just kill myself from shame for going to that house and talking to that man. So we're saying that, of course, I went to the White House and talked to the president. And I, I'm very aware. They asked me, did I know that slaves built the White House? I said, yeah, sure I do. And though this 400 years of African-American experience in this country, much of it good, powerful, and some of it very, very painful. I've had a painful life myself. Our home was bombed. I was in it. My dad was killed, A.D. King, yeah. along with his brother. So I get that. So, But the big problem is this. Racism and Separate races is socially engineered. Probably all of you know that. You realize that. We're one race. Science says that. One blood, one race. Acts 17, 26, the Bible says it. Science says it. So here's the man, President Donald John Trump, who's being called a racist, who said we all bleed the same. We're Americans. He gets it. He's not a racist. Please, I'm not insulting you. I'm not calling you fake news. But the news will not report all the dollars that he is responsible for leading into the effort to give historically black colleges and universities. If he doesn't, if he doesn't have uh, thought, if he if he doesn't feel uh, some uh, dissonance about the African Americans in this country, he does not. There's just tweets about Elijah Cummings. Our, it's our, not our, because he's African-American. It's because Baltimore right now is, is overcome with a problem. Now, if $15 billion have been sent into the city to fix it, and the people there themselves are saying, this is horrible, do something, fix it. He's not saying anything to Congressman Cummings because he has brown skin. It's because the rats and the crime and the people are killing themselves. What does that have to do with the man's skin color? Ms. King, let me ask you this question. Um, and we've never met. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'm Kevin Riley, the editor I of the Atlanta see. Journal-Constitution. Uh, this morning, based on that story, I started following uh, uh, Dr. Daryl Scott, who's a pastor in Cleveland. And, and the question I have is, we know from the feedback that we get on the show that there are a lot of uh, liberal and conservative people who listen, and, and Bill works very hard to give both sides. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're in this position where I think you're trying to say, look, liberal America, there are some things you ought to think about. Just America, period? Because I said this, and I actually said it to the president. I said, you know, I think I'm actually going to tweet this picture. And he chuckled. I said, you're the master tweeter, but I think I'll tweet it. And so it's a picture of uh, Donald John Trump, 
with uh, Alice, Reverend Al Sharpton, Reverend Jesse Jackson. I think James Brown might have been in the picture. Then there's a picture. I cry, I just took pictures and put them together. And then me with my goddaughter, Angela Stanton King. I don't know if you've heard of her. You need to get her. Who had her baby chained to a bed in the federal prison. And the guard wouldn't look away. And she called me screaming and hollering. And I contacted Washington. And I said, you need to do something for women. I can't say we are responsible for them putting into the first step and the second step and all that, protecting women with dignity to do that. But we made a loud noise. So I put our pictures together. And then I put a little scripture. If it had been my enemy, I would have known what to do. But you were my friends. You walked with me. And I said, guys, y'all are supposed to be friends. And I mean all of them, including the president. And that's, I think that's why he's saying now he's not mad at Congressman uh, Elijah. And uh, Secretary Ben Carson did ask him. He said, you know, if he'll come to the table, will you sit and talk to him? And President Trump says, yes, I will. So we're supposed to be brothers and sisters, not separate races. Skin color has nothing to do with our humanity. Let, let well, me... I think, you know, what's interesting to a lot of people is Baltimore, like all cities in America, yeah. has areas of great beauty. And I'm, yeah. from, I'm from near there. Areas of great beauty and, of course, problems, yeah. as, does, as does any big city. I think people take note, though, that, you know, we do see a pattern. He did the uh, President Trump did do the same thing with Atlanta and John Lewis yeah. and um, has not done so for um, white Congress men or women or their cities. And, and first of all, another, um, you know, sidebar to that, which is even more critical, is when you look at sort of what, what some might consider Trump country. There are plenty of towns that are really run down yeah. where there are a whole lot of problems. That's where the opioid epidemic has hit. And he's not saying these are horrible places where no one on earth should want to live. It's always But it has nothing areas. to do with black or white. Well, it I, really I think a lot doesn't. of people don't don't see it that way. Well, right. let me say this. No, for real. I heard that. But somebody called me yesterday because I was saying, like, the rats and everything in the pictures that are being shown. Now, this is not Caucasians pointing these things out. President Trump just picked up on somebody's tweet and checked it out, but it was the black folks that were talking well, about I, I, the I, I rats and all of that. The I, black people were talking about Well, I it. do think there was a, a, a conservative me, a media group that did, in fact, go out and try to take find movie, rats? Uh, find videos of all the No, no, the but it was an African-American. It was African-Americans <laughs> right. that did. Have you seen Mama in Detroit? Um, and she said, hey, let me run. Let my blinkity Ky blink run, and I'll take over, and I'll Ky show them how to, and she's a black lady. Hey, Kyle Hayes, um, we only have a couple more minutes okay. with Miss King, and I, you were in the middle of talking about another issue, so I feel like I need to give you a chance if you want to ask Miss King a question before we have to let her go. Sure, Miss King. I, I think thinking about your meeting with the president, if the president gets a second term, what would you like to see him do on issues of racial justice in this country? More of what he's already doing, bring us to the table. I, I can't speak for the other people. There were 20 of us there. I can only tell you what I said. They would have to tell you what they said. But we were all very candid. And we know that our differences are not, you know, racism, skin color. We're different races. One is it has to be the victim and one has to be superior according to skin color. And then nice, sweet people. I'm colorblind. If you're colorblind, put your glasses on. Jesus gives sight to the blind. If you can't see color, something's wrong with you. But I'm writing that book with Ginger Howard, a cute little Southern Belle Caucasian girl. So, <laughs> you know, blue eyes, she looks like a dog. She's so gorgeous. Todd Reem, do you want to ask one question before we let uh, Miss King go? In, in the White House meeting, was there any concern, uh, were there any concerns raised about the, the way some of these things are being uh, that, that the president has said, that, that the, the ways they're being perceived by some folks um, along the lines of what Elena had spoken well, what about. we what he recognizes, for instance, somebody put out in the news that President Trump did not know who Frederick Douglass was, that he thought he was a linebacker for a football team. Of course, he knows who Frederick Douglass is. I'm appointed to the Frederick, Frederick Douglass Commemorative Commission that passed. Dean Nelson, there were several blacks on the commission. And so to just say stuff out of the top of your head, he's concerned about that. He's concerned that. For some reason, no, nothing is printed about the HBCUs. How many went out to criminal justice? How many black folks through the initiative of the 4,000 jobs in Alaska that Angela Stanton King is sending people to returning citizens? All the good things he's doing, 
Nobody, the media, people say I'm lying. Did he talk people to all of you? People say I'm lying. Did he talk to all of you about the uh, charges that he's been uh, exhibiting behavior, the behavior of a racist? Uh, did he talk, address that with all of you in the Oval Office yesterday? Well, the questions that we asked about that, and we kept saying, why don't people know what you really do, the good things? But did he did he address? Uh, he addressed, you know how I know he really heard it? Because today he just had uh, 10 minutes live that I saw, and he really just talked about all the things he's doing for the community. He really talked mm-hmm. about that. He didn't say anything about rats. Well, he might have said a couple things. But, you know, somebody just texted me the other day and said, they were walking up at Buckhead down the street, a husband and wife, and they were dead rats. Yes, but, the, but that's the point. The president hasn't talked about, about because Buckhead. Because nobody's tweeted about the dead rats in Buckhead. Right. Tweet up and see what he said. All right, Elvita King, you have been very lovely to come in. I and, love you guys. No, I don't have a hateful body. Will you come back body. then if we want to have you back? I might have. So <laughs> right. would you want me back? That's I think question. we would. Can we, I say one thing about AJC? Very though? quickly. Two reporters, uh, and I'll name them. Sheila Poole and Ernie Suggs are very good to me. I there you that. go. Thank you. All They're, right. just fair. They're just as fair as they can be. I thank don't agree with them all the time. You need to talk to them. Uh, I'll talk to them, but thank <laughs> you for saying that. Right. Elvita King. Thank you. Elvita King again. Thank you so much for uh Popping in Thanks unexpectedly. Take care. You. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. I love you guys for real. <laughs> Thank you, Alvita. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's vehicle donation program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org slash cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227, and thanks so much. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is one of the most powerful people in the country. He can also be a polarizing figure. One of the things I decided early in my career, if you're constantly in pursuit of popularity, you can tie yourself in a knot. I think it's impossible to uh, satisfy everybody. A look at Mitch McConnell's political career this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. All right, Kyle Hayes, before Alveda King walked in, I was asking you about the interview that you just posted on Peach Pod with Ted Terry, who expresses a very definite view Uh, against the impeachment of the president. Why don't we quickly play uh, the clip and then let you talk about any other uh, observations you might have about that. Here's here's the clip from Ted Terry, Senate candidate uh, on the Democratic side. Well, my view is very simple. I think Mike Pence is a far greater threat um, to uh, reversing a lot of the gains we've made under President Obama in terms of policies. Uh, President Trump is among one of the lowest uh, has one of the most lowest uh, approval ratings um, of sitting presidents running for a second term right now. And so um, if I was a Democrat running for president, I would want to run against Donald Trump, not Mike Pence, number one. And I think that having Donald Trump in office running for re-election in 2020 will give all of the people around the country and in Georgia uh, a real clear choice uh, about the direction that we want to go in the next four years. And so mine's a very practical political choice. I think that we would beat Donald Trump, have a better shot of beating Donald Trump and David Perdue than beating Mike Pence and David Perdue. So, Kyle, it was great that you were able to get that quote from him. You want to comment on that? Sure. So I think uh, Ted Terry is the first candidate that I've heard anywhere in the country that just makes such a practical political argument, him basically arguing that it would be easier for Democrats to beat Donald Trump than Mike Pence. Um, I haven't heard that argument anywhere on Capitol Hill or seen it in any reporting uh, from Capitol Hill. Um, Democrats are mostly hiding behind process arguments right now in terms of dealing with that impeachment question. So it's really interesting to see Terry take this route on that question. Kyle, isn't that, though, in the end, the fundamental question? On one hand, you have Nancy Pelosi, who is the ultimate pragmatist, I mean, by almost any definition, saying, why would we do this? Why would we get in a fight we can't win? because the Senate is never going to remove the president. And then the other side, which is saying it's it's just our the right thing to do. It's our constitutional duty. Isn't that the fundamental question here? It is. And I think, 
you know, this it's interesting that it, that this is playing out between the two Democrats in our Senate race because Teresa Tomlinson makes the other argument that Congress has a duty in this instance to put the president through impeachment proceedings to at least send the signal that at least Democrats in the House believe that uh, some of the behaviors of the president really crossed the line in a constitutional sense, even if that uh, process of putting him through impeachment proceedings and then sending it over to the Senate, even if that's not successful, there's value in Tomlinson's view of even going through the process and sending that. So, Todd and Elaine, I want to get you in on this conversation, and I want to do it in this context. Teresa Tomlinson, who uh, has been running the longest for this seat in the Senate, former Columbus mayor, uh, she uh, uh, wrote a, a, a really a lengthy and I think pretty interesting piece about impeachment. And she says a few things I'd like to quote and then turn it over to you too. One cannot lead if one is afraid, she says. The thing about leadership is that people want their leaders to be brave. They care less about what you think on the issues than whether you have the moxie to fight for them and the strength of conviction to tell them what you really think. And then later she says impeachment Contrary to this is a direct contrast to Ted Terry. Impeachment is not about undoing the last election or impacting the next. It certainly is not about the polls, as the founding framers made perfectly clear in Federalist Paper Number Sixty Six. It is about stopping a president who would abuse and and misuse the power of the presidency, so that not another day passes, not another circumstance presents itself where a president unfit for duty. And she goes on uh, for there cannot continue essentially to inflict him his uh, way of de- of governing on the American people. Uh, Elena, first you and then Todd on this. I thought that Teresa made some really important points. Um, the way I look at the issue, um, I might support. I do think that there are things you know in the Mueller report and elsewhere that um, absolutely cross the line in a constitutional manner you know, dealing with foreign adversary and embracing their interfering with our election. Like, that's a big problem. However, um, I do not think that it's politically wise to impeach. Now, whether or not you start an impeachment inquiry is a different matter. I might support that. I would not support the House of Representatives taking a vote to impeach him. I think it would have only negative consequences. Let me me ask you this question in the context of the upcoming election. Do you think that Ted Terry's position, which is don't impeach, is likely to attract more voters than Teresa Tomlinson saying, have courage, we may have to go ahead and impeach. Now, by the time we settle that that seat in the U.S. Senate, it'll be over with. Well, but but how they stand now... position doesn't make that much sense to me because the Senate is not going to convict Trump. So therefore, we're not really, there's not really going to be president. As a political, as a political position that a candidate takes, which of those, from your Democratic point of view, is more likely to attract voters? Teresa's. In the primary. You mean in the primary. Because it's further left. Of course. Todd? More to that side. More to the base. So if you're talking about just the decision, do you impeach or do you not, I guess she's saying you should, which I disagree with. Ted is saying you shouldn't, but I disagree with his reasons. So therefore, I'm not really sure. Which which do you think resonates more with Democratic voters in Georgia? as a as a Republican, this is sort of what we what we're all enjoying watching this because it appears <laughs> that the Democratic field is chasing each other to the far left. Um, you have Ted Terry who has decriminalized uh, marijuana possession for small amounts within the city of Clarkston, and now in response, Teresa Tomlinson, who had years to do that in Columbus. Um, issued what appears to be a clear call for legalizing recreational no, no. use. We, we've got to be careful. What Tomlinson calls for, uh, just to be specific and then let you continue, is a change in the federal law removing marijuana from the from the class one drugs that are felony violations and then letting states decide how they want to treat marijuana. But go ahead. That that's probably too nuanced for most voters. Okay. Um, okay. But but it 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 appears that you've got these candidates who are who are trying to get to the left of each other, um, which in the traditional uh, environment where we had swing voters and worried about, you know, how do you pivot to use an overused term, uh, into the general election. Um, that's something that Republicans love to see is, is Democrats goading each other to the left. But to the extent that, if my thesis is correct, that, that, that those voters don't no longer exist, and it is a test to, uh, of who can fire up the left, I think 
it's it's going to be interesting because uh, Ted Terry has a natural gift for self promotion that I can't think of another <laughs> small town mayor who's got nearly as much ink as he is. And if you if you look at who's the real threat in this race, you know what my nightmare is is Ted Terry with John Ossoff money, and Terry appears to me to and and I and I kind of know Ted in passing. Uh, and, and he's very bright. I, he appears to have studied the playbook that uh, Stacey Abrams did, where she made herself into a national political figure even before the, I think, even before the primary. Um, and when I see when I see Ted Ted Terry coming up on Mother Jones, I'm like, well, he certainly went back and looked looked how at how Stacey Abrams put those pieces of the National Progressive Coalition together to to gain that backing. And he is, if nothing else, uh, you know, we can we can disagree about his manner of dress, but uh, he is he is certainly an astute politician um, who who seems to understand how the Democratic primary works. Kevin? I wonder who Stacey will support. I mean, I think that's a really good question, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, we've seen, right? I mean, you could, if you, if I take the logical extension of your argument, Todd. I mean, that's what Brian Kemp did, right? He ran very far right compared to his rivals. Is that a fair statement? I, I would say it's not just that, but it's also the geographic dependence on on the balance of state. Um, and in 2012, um, a, a campaign I was running, we saw that Republicans dropped off the ballot at a faster rate than Democrats do as you go on down. And so we start, I started paying attention to that in 2012. And, and a client of mine was saying, hey, you know, I think these, I think there is no such thing anymore. And, I, and I've, I've come to believe that that's at least an interesting argument that, that reflects yeah. the to, 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 voters. To clarify, right. well, right. yeah, and to clarify what, what, what you're saying, Todd, for our listeners, is that Republicans tend to not vote in the lower ballot races in the same numbers that Democrats do for whatever reason in the past. Kyle, yeah. I, you got that sound to you guys over there at Peach Pod, but I didn't ask you the question, which of those arguments do you think is more likely to appeal to Democratic primary voters? Well, I think the interesting thing actually is when you're looking at reporting on the presidential race early, which is sort of the most rich reporting out there right now on interactions between candidates and voters, voters are not actually asking the presidential candidates on the Democratic side about impeachment very much. So, you know, and the other thing to note here is this argument is somewhat academic between the two of them because it seems very unlikely that Georgia would send a Democratic senator to the U.S. Senate and Trump would also be reelected. Probably yeah. carrying well, that's Georgia. right. I just yes, but if you establish a position now ahead of time, you're going to be. I, I think to a certain extent, uh, people are going to take that as an example of uh, your overall philosophy of how to approach Republicans later. Perhaps I don't know. Uh, let me go ahead, Kyle. Do you want to finish that up? Well, I do. I do think though to to answer your question though, I think the energy among activists right now is behind maximalist democratic. Uh, use of their own power when they can. And so that does seem to lend towards Tomlinson's yeah. argument. Um, you know, Kevin, I thought uh, one of the interesting things that Todd uh, it talked about brings us to the f- final step. We're not, by the way, because of Alveda King's visit, which was great. I'm going to defer. Your, your newspaper did a great investigation about how sexual harassment uh, accusations in the workplace are, are the people who report these things are at an enormous disadvantage and end up being punished more than the people they're accusing. I'm going to defer that to another show because it's just too important to spend three or four minutes on it today. But I mentioned it in the very headlines of the show, and I want to let people know we will address it. And it's available online. People yeah. can read the story. Congratulations on that piece. All right. So tonight we're going to see the first of the two CNN debates. Todd uh, talks about uh, about the movement of pl- uh, part uh, candidates for the nomination to the left. Well, tonight we're going to see the matchup between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And if that doesn't give Republicans fodder for accusing Democrats of being socialists, I don't know what will. Yeah, you know, on the way uh, down when I was driving in, uh, CNN was reporting live from the rehearsals that the candidates were doing. They they each go out and get to check their podium and stuff. It's getting to be a a little bit ludicrous. But I do think, of course, tonight that will be the show, what those two do 
relative relative to each other because at some point one of them I guess has to emerge as the liberal candidate um, and then I'm kind of curious because all these other people who haven't been able to get any traction I'm expecting somebody to do something memorable kooky crazy just to emerge because after tonight right the field's really going to end up called because of the demands for the next debate um, Elena are you worried about the shift of your party to the left absolutely i mean i really y'all know i'm always gabbing about the electoral reforms i would put into place if i were in charge or had a magic wand and i think certain evils get us to um in you know uh partisan primaries gerrymandered districts and the way we fund campaigns are to me the big trifecta of why the public will and the middle 60 percent are not reflected better in our decision making and our politics so when you have to win a partisan primary you run to the left you run to the right it's a total um it's 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 extremely perverted view of where the electorate really stands and i think it's very dangerous for american politics so you're in a relatively safe seat and very have, safe. and have been always mm-hmm. um, uh no not in the house i had a swing district well i sorry i mean mm-hmm. since you moved to the senate right. but um but do you do you think the move to the left is going to hurt your fellow Democratic candidates, particularly uh, those who are going to end up running against Republicans in the fall race is going to make it harder for them. You mean for our candidates? Yes. Uh, Yeah, it could. It could. Um, I'm more, I was more thinking about whether it made it harder for the Democratic, the eventual Democratic nominee. Um, It could, but so much of it too is going to be, you know, how much has Trump continue to turn off suburban educated women you know like some of these bigger questions will 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 loom large over the elections in 2020 and that will impact our candidates more than necessarily what the who the democratic nominee is or what they said in the debate two years earlier. Todd, we're a long way from November 2020, yeah. but I would argue that that when an Elizabeth what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and others who've moved to the left say on debate stages going forward will have an impact on how voters in Georgia select their legislative leaders, their congressional leaders in the in the 2020 election. I, I, I do agree, but I think that, that what's going to be more important uh, is partly going to be technology. I think partly it's going to be um, has the Stacey Abrams uh, world maintained um, their machine. Well, I'm not at, saying at, it will work against Democrats. It might very well work in favor of the Stacey Abrams Democrats. Right, exactly. And and it, and if she's in the field, yeah. it's a different election than if she's not. You know, if she if she is a if she is taking full part in the race um, as you know either a mastermind of her own organization or or in whatever role she chooses that's a different race than any other race in the state of georgia i think that stacy you know as we all know is not done with georgia politics is probably going to be on the ballot ballot in 22 and will be extremely interested in you know uh, greasing the machine in 2020. All right, we are Elena Perrin, Congratulations, you got the last word on this edition of That's Political a Rewind. Politician right there. <laughs> we are totally out of time. Uh, thank you all for listening today. Uh, Kyle Hayes, thank you. Peach Pod, the newest one with Ted Terry, is available for uh, you to uh, listen to right now. Elena Parent, Todd Reem, Kevin Riley. Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, Tomorrow we'll talk a bit about what happens on the debate stage in Detroit tonight, as well as a lot of state and local issues that are bubbling to the surface. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll see you tomorrow at 2.